Well, good morning, everybody. I want to talk to the young people for a moment. Those who are in your teens, in your early 20s, and all, all, all our other old people in here. I want you to pray for them in particular, especially at this Mass. Because you young people in here, oh, you are bombarded with many different voices, aren't you? Many different voices of what it means to live a happy life, what it means to, to set your heart on. I know there are many voices cowering and vying, competing for your attention. You know, every, every time us old people say, oh, the young people have it harder today than we were kids. Especially all the many distractions that are available to all of you, which weren't there when us old people were growing up. So I want us particularly to pray for you at this Mass. Because in spite of all of the cacophony of noise, since I've been here, I've spoken to four young people. Three are young men. I said, Father, I think God is calling me to be a priest. And in one young lady, 19, Father, I think God is calling me to be a nun. Two of these young men, they're in their early 20s, the middle of their careers, successful careers, by the way. One young man's a senior in high school, 17. And he may actually be sitting next to you in the pew right now. I won't call them out because I don't want to embarrass them. But I guarantee you, these young people feel utterly alone. Why? Because imagine them hanging out on a Friday night with all of their friends. What do you think a normal teenager group or, or people in their 20s are talking about? And yet in the midst of this group, our young people are hanging out there and there's a desire. I want to be celibate. All they feel utterly like aliens in that group. So we have to pray for our young people because God never ceases to stop calling, by the way. All he is raising up young people calling them to a radical life and following our Lord. And so we have to pray for our young people to hear the voice, and not only that, but to stay faithful. As many of you know, Pope Benedict, last Saturday, passed away at the age of 95. It didn't make that such a, a big splash in the media because Pope Benedict had resigned over 10 years ago. And he was living a quiet life in the Vatican City. And of course, so he was out of the public eye, so, he had, so the public had lost interest in him. In his first letter, when Pope Benedict became our Holy Father, in his first letter called Deus Caritas S. In Latin means God is love. He writes this about the Christian. 
It says, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. You see, to be a Christian today is not about, it's not about just being nice. I know our world loves to reduce Christianity to just being nice. That's not Christianity. It's a part of it, but it's not the heart of it. To be a Christian is about, as our Holy Father, Paul Benedict says, is about an encounter. An encounter, when you meet the Lord, changes the direction of your life. And we see this beautifully in the gospel, don't we? As we celebrate now the beautiful solemnity of the Epiphany. Epiphany, by the way, just means the manifestation of God. It's just a fancy word. The manifestation of God, who now, of course, we celebrate in Christmas, who comes into the flesh as, as, as the baby Jesus. And then, of course, the, the story of the wise men coming, bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know the story well. The, the wise men represents the fulfillment of the age-old prophecies that God, when he comes again, would manifest himself and call all of the world to him. That's what the three magi represents. Or as a beautiful psalm that which we chanted between the readings, all nations on earth shall adore you. The wise man represents all of humanity coming to encounter the living God. And once someone encounters the living God, especially those four young people I talked about, can you imagine now why everything else pales in comparison with Jesus Christ? In 2006, I was my third year of seminary and had the great honor and privilege of being sent to Rome to finish my theological studies. So I was 26, I was a young man, more hair, less wrinkles. And that was when Pope Benedict was just elected Pope not too long after that, or before that. And so during our heyday, for my generation of priests, Pope Benedict was our Pope. And as we were living there, Pope Benedict left a powerful impression upon us. Because I don't know about you, but the media hated him. They absolutely hated him. He was, I'm sure you're familiar with these, these caricatures of him. They called him the Nazi Pope. Because remember, he was from Bavaria in Germany. They called him God's Rottweiler. They called him, oh, a stern traditionalist. All of the other taglines in order to, to, to denigrate him. Oh, but anybody that knew him, that were around him, said that that's, that's fake. That's a narrative that the media is trying to portray. It has nothing close to reality whatsoever. And as a young man, the intellect and humility of Pope Benedict resounded for us as young men who were studying to be priests. And one pivotal example, which we'll never forget, was September 12, 2006. On that day, Pope Benedict was in Regensburg, Germany, and he gave a famous speech. It was a speech, he was speaking to a bunch of college professors and intellectuals. 
And in his speech, he was talking about the cohesion of faith and reason. Because as I know about today, people try to drive a wedge in between faith and reason. You either have to be faithful or you have to be scientific. You can't be both. Absolutely false, by the way. Each properly understood faith and reason are cohesive. Well, as John Paul II beautifully said, they are like two wings by which the human mind rises to the truth. In this particular speech, which made it famous, he quotes a 14th century Byzantine emperor by the name of Manuel II. Manuel II, in this quote, which he quoted in his speech, criticized certain elements of Islam. Because if you look at church history, there are always attempts in, in Islam to spread their faith by the sword. And so he was quoting Manuel II in response to this. When that speech hit the headlines, of course, the media focused on that section of the speech without the context. And the Muslim world erupted in fury. There was protest all throughout the Muslim world in their capitals. Churches were being bombed and burned. I don't know if you remember that particular time period, 2006. I'm not sure if the, if, the, if the media hit home here, but we were still living in Italy, so we saw it on the front pages. And even in Somalia, there was an Italian nun, Sister Leonella, was sadly murdered by one of these fanatics, all in response to Pope Benedict's speech at Regensburg. Threats started coming in. In fact, Al-Qaeda itself, you remember Al-Qaeda? They're not much in the news lately, but it said, we will destroy your crosses, Al-Qaeda said. When we were living at the North American College, which was the American seminary, and as Americans, we know we, we love to build big things. Right? We love big buildings. And so, same thing in Rome. The American seminary, which sends, we have one of the biggest seminaries in Rome, by the way, and it sits right next to Vatican City. It's this huge building where, where the Americans live, and it's so close to the Vatican that you can literally, in, in our bedrooms, you can open up your window, and you have a direct line of sight to the Pope's house. And whenever the Pope is home, you can see they, they turn on a light in the Apostolic Palace, as we call it. And so whenever, as seminarians, we, we look out the window, if the light was on, like, oh, Pope Benedict is still awake. You can look outside the window and see him. That's how close the American seminary is. When in the height of all of this, when we would walk past the Vatican, because of all of the death threats, because they were threatening to destroy St. Peter's Basilica, the Italian military set up blockades. You see armored car personnel carriers. You see men with machine guns. They had to step up security because, again, the threat was that thick on the ground. It became almost like a military base in Vatican City. But then amazingly, in the height of all of this fury, Pope Benedict announced that he was going to visit Turkey. Turkey is a predominantly Muslim country. And everybody told him, Holy Father, don't go to Turkey. Don't you understand? You're in the height of, of the fury right now. And there was threats against his life. He said, just go in, go in a few months. Let it die down. 
Paul Benedict said, no, I will go. So in November, our Holy Father planned a trip to Istanbul, the capital of Turkey. I remember we were sitting there having breakfast in seminary. And whenever the Holy Father would go on an international trip, just like the President of the United States, a helicopter comes. It's like President Biden, if he were to leave to, and to go travel abroad, the helicopter comes, and we all have seen those images, comes with the Marines standing there, they welcome President Biden, he takes off and he goes to the airport. Same thing in Vatican City. The Pope has a, guess what color his helicopter is? White, sir. A white helicopter comes, picks up the Pope, helicopter takes off and it goes to the main airport in Rome, Fiumicino. And I remember that particular day, we were sitting there having breakfast and we hear the helicopter. And we look out the window and we see the helicopter taken off from Vatican City. And it flies across our, our window, heading towards the airport. And all of the seminarians and I, we all looked at each other. And we said, the Pope might die. We may never see him again. What do you think that left on the hearts of all of the young men, all 200 of us in the seminary? What do you think that told us as young men studying to be priests? Here was the Holy Father, an old man, going to the teeth of the violence. I'll tell you right now what it did to us. It told us, never be afraid to proclaim Jesus Christ. Never be afraid of your Catholic faith, no matter what. Who cares if they make fun of us? Who cares if they threaten our lives? Who cares if the world makes fun of us about being celibate? Who cares about the world who says, you go to Mass on Sunday, you pray, you follow this God? Yes. Oh, I'm telling you that the impression that he left on our hearts as young men affected our entire generation. Because why? Because once you encounter the risen Lord, everything pales in comparison to him. Do you see now why the wise men is said at the very last line? They departed their country by another way. Because if we truly want to follow Jesus Christ, our lives are changed. And we cannot go back to the way it was. Jesus Christ has come. He has broken into our world and he has manifested our truest glory. He is the light in the darkness. And the great challenge for you and I is to every day to make that decision and to follow him. See, this is why I began. We have to pray for our young people because they are being bombarded with messages contrary to the Catholic faith. And what Pope Benedict taught us Never be afraid to follow the Lord. You see, one of the reasons why the media hated him, 
they said, all you Catholic church, change your teaching. Get with the modern times. Change your teaching on human sexuality. Change your teaching on marriage. Change your teaching on this and on that. Be like everybody else. I don't know about you, but I say no. How dare I change the teachings handed to us us from Christ? Yes, we may not win more friends that way. We may not win a popularity contest. But that's okay. Follow the Lord like the wise men. And so you dear young people, as I end here, I want to speak to you again. The faith which your parents have given you is the most precious gift in the entire world. It's worth more than gold, frankincense, or myrrh. And nothing in this world can compare to the beauty of this faith. Never be ashamed. Never be afraid. And follow the Lord.